Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy dropped Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. Welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show, brought to you by Indeed, Pepsi, and Bet Online. So, as we talked about a little bit yesterday, we're going to have the rest of the questions for the mailbag in today's episode, because obviously yesterday there was a bunch of big news within the organization. Today, some more news, at least, again, this is on Wednesday, within the organization, First, a couple of clerical things. Jeff Okuda goes on injured reserve. That was expected after he had corn muscle surgery on Tuesday. That was successful. And Halapula Vati Vaitai returning to practice. So that's even more important potentially, especially if he's somehow available on Sunday because Tyrell Crosby is not practicing. But the bigger news is involving people that are hurt, starting with Frank Ragnow. And I expect we'll hear more from this, or Daryl Bevel is definitely going to get asked about it a lot more today. But just to kind of clarify what I know now as of 8.30 on Wednesday evening when I'm recording this. Frank Ragnow did suffer what was called a fractured throat. This is a very rare thing to have happen. Henry Anderson of the Colts had it in 2017. But other than that, I hadn't heard of it. When I first heard about it, which was reported by Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, I was like, what is this? But that is where it started. And the biggest thing now a source told me, and this is in my story on ESPN.com, is that there's a vocal cord contusion that's part of the issue. And there's not an issue with Frank Ragnow eating or with Frank Ragnow breathing, and those are two of the most important things, but there are issues with him talking. They would rather him not talk at the moment. They don't want him to like strain anything because it's his vocal cords that seem like they need to be what's healing. I imagine we'll hear more from Daryl Bevel today about this, but obviously this is a massive injury for the Detroit Lions. I can't see any way that Frank Ragnow would play on Sunday. I don't see any way that, frankly, he should play on Sunday at, at all. Um, like What he sounds like he's going through is incredibly painful. Like, incredibly painful. So I just can't see a way that that would happen. 
But the most important thing for Frank Ragnow, first, foremost, and always, is his health. Especially with something like this, because you don't want to potentially damage your vocal cords because of how important that is, you know, for the rest of your life. And Frank Ragnow is a young guy. He's under 25 years old. So you take your time with this. You do everything your doctor says, and you get better. And if that means you don't play this week, you don't play this week. If that means you don't play this rest of the season, you don't play the rest of the season. Get better, Frank Ragnow. That's should be the only concern and listen he was playing at a pro bowl level he's maybe one of the top centers in the game so you want you know you want to be healthy for football purposes purposes but moreover more importantly you want him just to be healthy and make sure that everything gets squared away there and like i said i anticipate we'll hear more from darrell bevel on that secondly matthew stafford talk today it was kind of a surprise i didn't actually expect that we would hear from matthew stafford because usually injured players don't talk now matthew stafford's a different case because he's the face of the organization etc etc uh i thought he was actually very open and very good about his situation and he said listen right now I, I'm not putting expectations on anything. I'm taking it day by day. He is hoping that he can throw by the end of the week. But I asked him straight away, well, what do you need to feel or what do you need to, to see from yourself in order to play on Sunday? And this is what he told me when I asked him that. He said, and I quote, tough question it comes kind of comes down to being able to operate go out there be able to throw it around be able to feel good enough to know or at least give myself a good chance of finishing the game don't want it to be one of those things where you go out there and do something weird early and you're out after the first series of the game or something not to say take a big hit and who knows what could happen but want to feel good enough to be able to start the game and hopefully be able to finish it as well. Play at a high level. All those things are things that are kind of a must, and we'll see if we can get there by the end of the week. So, end quote. So he's saying, listen, he's not ruling himself out at this point. I would not have anticipated that Matthew Stafford would rule himself out at this point, but it's clear that he at least understands of where he feels he needs to get to be to play. And let's be honest, too. I would be more hesitant sending him out there knowing Frank Ragnow's situation because the situation at center is either Jonah Jackson, who's a rookie who will be playing his third position, or Joe Dahl, who has some experience at center, or Logan Stenberg, who has yet to play a snap. Like, I don't know if I want to put Matthew Stafford out there in that situation at center. Like, yes, they'll talk about next man up till they're blue in the face. But the reality is your quarterback is not going to be playing at hundred percent. Even if he does play your center is hurt and should not play at least based off of what it sounds like. We'll see what Daryl Bevel says today, but I, I can't imagine at this point him playing. That would be a surprise to me. So I, I, I just don't know how you do it. Now, Matthew Stafford did explain a little bit more of kind of what was going on. He was asked how much pain he was in Sunday, and he actually made a posture joke, but he basically said, listen, quote, I did not feel good, just wasn't able to function. That was the biggest thing. I was kind of spasming, locking up a little bit, and I wasn't able to throw. That's basically what it boils down to. And you could see that if you were watching him on the sidelines. I obviously enjoyed him making a posture joke because I would imagine most of the people who listen to this podcast understand 
the whole hip posture history with myself and Matt Patricia, of which if you haven't watched Matthew Stafford's Zoom session, I highly recommend you go and do it because I basically told Matthew Stafford that I know a guy if he needs it. And he winked. I, I don't know whether he really knew what was going on or not with that because he's always kind of said he doesn't pay attention to all that stuff. But, you know, I, I did think it was funny that he brought up posture. Uh, just kind of a, fu- a, a fun little moment during a press conference for sure. Now, kind of back to Stafford a little bit. Like, he he did – I asked him if he had to wear more, like, protection on his chest. He said he doesn't know at this point. He then joked he would maybe tape a pillow to his ribs or something, but that he'd figure it out at the end of the week if he is going to play. He said that right now he's just got to rest and kind of try and heal, maybe watch some Netflix, do some heat, some cold, some movement, some chilling out, and you kind of just go from there and try to get to where, as he said, he's hoping he can throw a little bit later in the week. But he didn't sound super confident that that was going to even be the case at this point. So it's going to be day by day with him. From a fantasy perspective, if you're worried about that, I would go find another option if you can. Uh, uh, just to be safe, if nothing else. But you can even tell that, I mean, Matthew Stafford didn't seem to look as comfortable just sitting there when he's doing the Zoom session. Chase Daniel talked a little bit. He talked about Frank Ragnow. He talked about Matthew Stafford. It was a whole bunch of toughness conversation with Chase Daniel because he was describing how tough both of those guys were. It was interesting to hear Stafford and Chase Daniel describe like what Ragnow was like because his injury happened in the first quarter. And Chase Daniel was basically like he that Frank Ragnow was like, I can't talk. Like, I can't talk. Like, talking in a really raspy voice. And Chase Daniel does it better than I did. And that at first I thought it was funny. No one said anything. Ragnar didn't tell anybody. Like, he didn't, you know, I can't imagine how much pain he was in, but he played every snap. And then only the next day we're like, oh, wait, that wasn't funny. That is a serious injury. And, you know, like I said, you know, we'll see kind of what happens there. DeAndre Swift also talked today. Like, it was a busy day for, for Lions from a newsy perspective. He didn't shed much light on what happened to him. He All he said was that Wednesday he started getting headaches and, you know, that's when he started to get concerned. He was asked kind of what this whole month was like for him. Quote, it's been a little rough going through concussion protocol, as I'm sure you all know. Just something that was new t- for me with the headaches and everything like that. Training staff and the doctors here did a great job just taking me through protocol and doing every test, just making sure everything was okay. And quote, he was asked if he got any clarity whether he actually ever had a concussion or not. He said uh, he doesn't know. He just knows his head was hurting. He feels good now. There are no concerns going forward. And, you know, I kind of asked him to get clarity on how or when it happened. He said he did not get any clarity on that. He just said he wasn't feeling right from Wednesday, and they kind of went from there. And I asked what that meant, and he said just headaches. And I asked how bad they were, and he said he didn't quite understand my question. He was just having headaches. Uh, As someone who gets headaches a lot, uh, I can tell you that if you've had headaches a lot, you know there are degrees to headaches, especially if you've had migraines or you've had cluster headaches, uh, they suck. They're terrible. They're awful. Um, and 
you know, he was asked whether he had headaches before, and he said, you know, this was something new to him. Uh, quote, I thought it was a concussion, but headaches kept happening. And quote, he said that doctors have told him that nothing was wrong structurally and that doctors were really good with him every step of the way. And he said by the end of last week, he really felt like he was out of the woods and out of you know major concern. So all of that is good news that he feels like he's doing better. And that's a positive thing for DeAndre Swift. But a whole bunch of injury stuff today, a whole bunch of things going on. And we need to get to the other news, the GM news today, which is – uh, both NFL Network and ESPN reported that Lewis Riddick is going to be interviewing for the open general manager job on Friday. There's been reports out there that Rick Smith is going to be interviewing for the open general manager job. We're going to hit on both of those guys right after the break here, and we'll also get to some more of your questions right here. On the 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new, new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast, faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are one of them. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch. And let's be honest, if you're watching the Lions right now, you probably need something to get you through what you've been seeing on the field. And Pepsi is that refreshment you need to power through any game day, even Lions games. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Let's quickly go through the two general manager candidates that we definitely know about. First is Rick Smith. He is an Ohio native. Grew up in the Dayton area. He went to Purdue. So he has some Midwestern 
ties and he started his career as a coach at Purdue as a GA and then he was a secondary coach at Purdue then he moved to the NFL where he coached defensive backs with the Broncos for a few years before moving into kind of more of a front office role he was then director of pro personnel for the Broncos before he became general manager for the Texans he was general manager of the Texans for 11 years from 2006 to 2017 and you know he he did a good job in a lot of ways with the Texans under his reign with the Texans they won four divisional titles they finished second another time they lost in the divisional round three times they lost in the wild card round one time he did hire two coaches he hired Gary Kubiak and then he hired Bill O'Brien both of those coaches you can argue were successful especially considering that when they hired Kubiak the Texans in their history had yet to have a 500 record in a season and he got them by 2007 to 8 and 8 8 and 8 9 and 7 6 and 10 10 and 6 12 and 4 and then they bottomed out in 2013 and that's when they made the switch he was responsible for drafting among other players JJ Watt he has clear experience as a general manager there's no question about that his first round picks Mario Williams in 2006 Amobi Okoye in 2007 Dwayne Brown in 2008 Brian Cushing Connor in 2009 Kareem Jackson in 2010 JJ Watt in 2011 Whitney Merciless in 2012 DeAndre Hopkins in 2013 Jadavian Clowney in 2014, Kevin Johnson in 2015, and Will Fuller in 2016. Like, so he did a pretty darn good job drafting. And lest we forget his last pick as general manager, Deshaun Watson, in 2017. So his first round track record is kind of unbelievable. And he's drafted on offense and defense in the first round. He's Knowing how to find playmakers and future stars. Now, obviously, some of that's going to be coaching, too. But that's a really good and impressive pedigree. I don't think he had quite as much success in the middle rounds. Although, you know, over that course of time, you're going to find hits and you're going to find misses. Some of, I think, his bigger hits were Owen Daniels in the fourth round in 2006. The tight end out of Wisconsin who ended up having... 36 touchdowns and 5,661 yards. That's a pretty good selection. He had Jacoby Jones, who ended up having 203 career catches. That was a second-round selection for him in 2007. In 2009, he drafted Connor Barwin in the second round. Connor Barwin had a heck of a career in the NFL. He drafted a guy you might be familiar with in the fourth round. He's He ended up being pretty good for a while. He's one of the best Lions of the last decade, Glover Quinn, he drafted in the fourth round in 2009. He drafted Trick McManus in 2010 in the fifth round, and he's still kicking around the league. He drafted Brooks Reed in the second round in 2011. He he, he had a pretty decent run for a while. I mean, then you're getting more modern era, more 
modern lately Brandon Brooks, one of the better guards in the league. In 2012, he drafted. He drafted Ben Jones also in 2012. He's still kicking around the league. DJ Swearinger had a decent career. And, yeah, he, he's done pretty well. Like, I, I think you look at who he's drafted, and he has some sort of track record. Now, not a lot of them. DJ Reader was a great find in the fifth round in 2016. So I think you can look at that and say, okay, yeah, like there's some good draft possibilities there. You can maybe feel good about him at least having good scouts and knowing what he's looking for or drafting itself. And that, I think, is a, a good thing for him, and, and it shows he's a good talent evaluator. He, he had to leave his position with the Texans because his wife was very ill. And uh, you can read a really good story by Greg Bishop from Sports Illustrated, former podcast guest, friend of the podcast, on Rick Smith and his wife's journey through her illness. And, yeah, I, I mean, he's an intriguing candidate. He's somebody I think that the Lions should talk to. He's somebody the Lions should pay attention to. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where we would go as far as potential head coaches. But, you know, maybe he would want to try and be reunited with Gary Kubiak if Gary Kubiak were willing to come back into coaching. I think that's a big if considering the health issues there. But, you know, I, I think that there is some potential. He would have some ties to Robert Sala, who's obviously the fan favorite to get this job because Sala was with the Texans for a while. So they at least would have some sort of connection and some sort of relationship. But yeah, I mean, that's, I think where you're at with Rick Smith, Lewis Riddick, on the other hand, ESPN colleague he has not been a general manager before, but he has spent time in multiple front offices. He obviously knows the league extremely well. You hear him talk about it every day on ESPN or every week on ESPN and I think that that's a help. And I think that that's something that you can really kind of pick up on and you can know what he's talking about and you know where he stands on a lot of things. His career started with Washington as a pro scout. Then he moved to director of player of pro personnel. Then he went to the Eagles as a scout, then became assistant director of pro personnel, then director of pro personnel. He was a player for a while, and that always helps. He's a Pennsylvania native. He played with a bunch of NFL teams here and there, including Atlanta in 92, Cleveland from 93 to 95, the Falcons in 96, the Raiders in 98. He also played for the Orlando Rage in 2001, and that is where he ended his career. That was part of the original XFL. So the last few years, he has been obviously with ESPN and he's been an analyst. He's now on Monday Night Football, so you know where he who he is and where he is. He's plugged in across the league and I think he's an interesting candidate. I mean, he's a candidate that frankly, I think we talked about this 5 years ago that he was somebody I felt the Lions should have really talked to, should have really maybe spent more time with then when they hired Bob Quinn. Uh, because I think he was intriguing at that point. He's also still pretty young when you look at it, right? He's only 51. The concern with him would be that he hasn't been in the league. He hasn't had to scout. He hasn't had to do a lot of the things that a GM has to do in eight years, basically, or what will probably be close to eight years by the time they hire this job. So... 
that to me would be something I would be wondering about. Um, I would want to know kind of how he wants to handle the scouting department, uh, what his thoughts are on head coaches, what his thoughts are on coordinators. Like I, I would want to know all of that because this would be a little bit of an out of the box hire. Now I know that there's probably some sort of like, you know, sticker shock type situation when you're getting somebody from television because of what happened with Matt Millen, but John Lynch worked out really well or has so far worked really well in San Francisco. Mike Mayock has worked out really well, I think, in Las Vegas. So there is some recent precedent there. But the thing you have to do is I think if you're going to bring in Lewis Riddick, you have to have either a very experienced coach. So maybe this is where you would bring a guy like Marvin Lewis. I don't know if Lewis Riddick and Marvin Lewis would would be a match. But Marvin Lewis is a guy I would maybe talk to at this point if you were looking to bring in a Lewis Riddick. I would look at. I mean, they're not going to bring back Jim Caldwell, obviously, but I would look at basically guys who've been there before and had some level of success that might be out there. I would be maybe a little bit more hesitant with a first-time younger assistant at this point, if you're go- or you know younger coach. I would maybe look to the college ranks potentially. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if Josh McDaniels would be the right fit in Detroit, but obviously Josh McDaniels is another guy who has at least some experience when it comes to being a head coach. So those would be the types of people I think you would need to look at. Or I would want to make sure that, you know, he's surrounded by very, very talented, very, very experienced front office personnel. Because there is going to be a learning curve if you do bring in Lewis Riddick. And that's just the truth of it. And I don't know who some of those personnel people would be. Maybe he keeps... Some maybe he keeps their current guys like Kyle O'Brien and Rob Lohman and Lance Newmark. Maybe that happens, or maybe he try. Maybe I mean Sheldon White's another guy that could be really interesting, and he's still in the area, obviously. Uh, you know, and I'm just obviously thinking in Lions terms there, but there are a bunch of experienced personnel people around the league that he can probably bring in, and you'd want to surround yourself with that, especially early on while you're kind of getting your feet wet back in being in a GM's chair for the first time. But I think he's a really intriguing candidate. I think it's smart for the Lions to talk to him. I think that it makes all the sense in the world, and I'd be really curious to find out how his presentation goes and and what he puts together because he's incredibly smart. He's incredibly detailed. He knows the league. He knows every player in the league. You see that every Monday night. He has good opinions, and... He, he knows what he's talking about. You know, every time I've spoken to him uh, for stories or whatnot, like he's he's sharp and he would be I, th- I believe he will be a good general manager. So that will be something to watch. So those are the two candidates that we know of so far that are potentially get are likely to be interviewed this week or potentially going to be interviewed. And I anticipate it's going to be a long list of names. As we kind of go here, especially since they can do only Zoom interviews at this point until the season ends. So with all of that said, let's dig into some of your mailbag questions and then we will get out of here for the day. So, all right, let's just jump right in. Paul Jackson, Paul M. Jackson 9. Before the season, I felt the Lions had 500-level talent, but the rocket scientist, meaning Matt Patricia, would cost them three to four games. After watching these past few games, I have even a stronger conviction in this hypothesis. Michael, can you sit up straight and shed light on my theory? 
Uh, yes, I will sit up straight, and I don't know if you hear a difference or not, but no, I am actually sitting. I, my posture, if we're going to be honest about my posture, and this is a call back to the top of the episode, it hasn't been great lately. I do a lot of work on couches just because of the way that my work setup is set up, uh, and I wasn't going to invest too much in COVID in hopes that one day soon I'll get back to working in coffee shops and in facilities and on planes and all these other places where my posture can also be bad. But I can let shed light on your theory, and I think that there is something there. I I really do think that there is something there. I think that when you see how hard they're playing for Daryl Bevel, and we'll see what happens here against the Titans, and they're going to be incredibly undermanned. And we'll see what happens against the Bucks, and we'll see what happens against the Vikings. But the way that they're playing with him, the looseness that they feel, it feels more like the Lions under Jim Caldwell. And I was not... I have not obviously been in the locker room at all this year. I haven't seen a player face-to-face all year. I, I've seen one coach face-to-face, and it's because it's a coach up in the booth and happen to uh, see him in line for the bathroom. Like, that's it. And, you know, it's masked face-to-masked face. But, like, other than that, haven't seen a, a soul on the coaching staff or the – you know, or players this year. So it's only, you know, kind of how you can read and what people tell you and how you read tea leaves. But it feels like it. It feels like there's a difference. There's just a lighter energy and there's a more positive energy. And that's really what Caldwell brought and when he got the most out of his players. And I think you're seeing that right now from Daryl Bevel. That Daryl Bevel, Corey Unlin, like they're getting the most out of their guys. And I, Corey Unlin is a guy that really from the beginning of the season really struck me as a guy who's very passionate, cares very deeply about his players, seems to really buy into like listening to them and, and what they would like to do and, and trying to put them into the best positions that way. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there is something to that. I I think that they still beat Jacksonville and Atlanta at that point. I, I don't know if they could have beaten Minnesota just because of their injuries. I think that they still beat Washington. Um, I don't know about the Colts. The Colts are a pretty good team. I mean, this roster's got deficiencies there there's no doubt about that but I think that they would have maybe eked out a game or two that maybe they wouldn't have now of course you can look at the the schedule and the, the games that they've lost and there aren't that many that scream oh man like that's that's one now one like one that definitely screams to me is the Carolina game. Like that one, I feel like even though they got shut out to me, that's a game that you have a different voice. You have different leadership in there. I I don't think, I don't know if you win, but I don't think you get shut out. I really don't Houston on Thanksgiving. I think you have a really good shot at that game because I think you're not in this weird vortex of, of questions and, and kind of just, you know, uncertainty at that point. So yeah, I mean, maybe you pick up those two games because I, they want Matt Patricia once have gotten removed before week four, before the bye, And so you kind of have to take those losses as they are. And then after that, I mean, I still think the Colts are just a bad matchup for them and, and just not a good situation. The Minnesota Vikings, you know, they weren't going to stop Dalvin Cook um, at all, and the Vikings pretty much, you know, handled them easily. Now, we'll see what happens here in Week 17. So, to me, it's the Panthers and the Texans. 
And if you win those two games, you're in the wild card hunt. And who knows what happens against the Packers? But you know, at that, so what are you then now? You're, you know, really what seven and six, more or less? Yeah, you're in the playoff hunt, um, and, and really control a lot of your own potential uh, with the Bucks and the Vikings still in your schedule. So would have been a little bit different, but we also listen. We don't know how they would have responded. We just don't, and that's just the truth of it. Luis Angel Silva, who's at Silva Luis 26, asks, says, well, now must finish at 500 and make Brady go sad, meaning Tom Brady. I just don't see them going 500, man. Uh, I'm just going to be straight with you. We're going to get more into the Titans tomorrow with my colleague Teron Davenport. We get into some coaching situations and coaching conversations as well between Arthur Smith, and he's covered a bunch of successful head coaches, so we talk about what it takes to be a successful head coach. Um, but I just don't see it. I mean, I, I have a tough time seeing them winning any of their games the rest of the season, especially if Matthew Stafford doesn't play, if Frank Ragnow doesn't play. Like, those those are crushing injuries for the Lions. Doug McCready is at G, DG McCready. says, once again, we say goodbye to another playoff chase. This team is beat up and void of talent. Don't stand for anything except losing. Teams like the Bears always value defense. Any idea what Sheila wants the Lions to be? I think this question was asked before they hire Chris Spielman. I think we have at least an idea that there is an identity they want. They are not necessarily sharing that identity yet, but this is there is an identity that they want. You know, it, it kind of, the press conference, and now as I'm saying it, kind of reminded me, I don't know if you watched The West Wing or not. The West Wing is one of my favorite television shows of all time, and the writing on it is so crisp, and it really was what, I wouldn't say invented the walk and talk for television, but it brought the walk and talk to television, which you see on every episode of every TV show now. It, it changed the game. If you want to see great acting, watch The West Wing. And it, there's and if you do, there's a great podcast out there called The West Wing Weekly with uh, Rishi Cage Hirway and Josh Bellino, which I highly recommend you listen to. I'll get off my soapbox about The West Wing just to say I'm bringing this up because in that show, there is a time where Josh Lyman, who's one of the characters, who's not the press secretary, goes in and ends up talking about a plan to fight, that the president has a plan to fight inflation, and that it's a secret. And uh, like secret, So then there's a thing that he has a secret plan to fight inflation, and it became this whole thing. And now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of reminded me about, like, that the Lions, they have a plan. When are you going to reveal? What is this plan? We will reveal it when, you know, in due time. Well, okay. What does that mean? So right now, I feel like we're in that middle of like, well, what does this plan mean? What is this going to be exactly? Where are, what is that culture and what is that value? I think that they alluded to some of it, and that is unity. That is wanting to make sure the two sides of the organization, the business side and the football side, work more in harmony, work more in unison. They clearly believe in a shared vision from the top down. I think that that's valuable. I think you see a lot of successful organizations and a lot of successful successful franchises and a lot of successful Fortune 500 companies run the same way. As far as what they're going to be on the field, I think Sheila has an idea of what she would like. I think Chris Spielman and Rod Wood have ideas of what they would like. But I think ultimately it's going to be up to the new general manager and new head coach what that looks like. But I think it's very clear that they want something inclusive. They want something that everybody in the organization can get behind, that everybody in the organization can rally around. You heard that out of Chris Spielman. And I really believe in 
that they're really going to try their best to have some sort of unity. Right now, that's all they can do until they figure out who's going to be their head coach and who's going to be their general manager. But I've, I get the sense that they're really going to stress that to whoever, whatever candidates they do bring in. Dom Bresnow, who's at dbrez4, says this is a statement, not a question. It doesn't matter who the head coach is or will be. With that defense, he'll never win. I agree. They need to tear down that defense. They need an infusion of talent. We've said it a lot. There's no doubt about that. They do. They just absolutely do. They need talent. They need more talent. Whether you get that through the draft, whether you get that through free agency, uh, whether you get that through player development, whether you get that through getting some guys who are injured back, Trey Flowers and Jeff Okuda being the two that stand out the most, along with maybe Desmond Trufant. Like, those are all things that will help. But you're right. This defense needs a lot of help. It needs a new scheme. It needs a new reconstruction. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Scott reporting from Home Pole, who's at Scott Polaker, or Scott Pole, WKAR, asks, will Gus Malzahn get NFL coaching consideration? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. I have not heard Gus Malzahn's name really mentioned at all, at least with this job or in talking to people at all, kind of any NFL job at this point, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But, of course, Gus Malzahn was just fired. So I don't know if you're going to hire a fired college coach in the NFL. Now, granted, that happened with Cliff Kingsbury, basically. But that situation was really different because they were hiring Kingsbury for his offense. And I don't think Gus Malzahn's known for this, like, great offense. So, no, I don't get the sense that, that Gus will get NFL coaching consideration. I think if you're looking at college coaches, guys like Dan Mullen, maybe James Franklin, those are maybe some names to look at. Troy Newcomb, who's at Troy Newcomb, asks, wasn't Stafford sliding on the play where he got hurt? I thought it was illegal to hit a quarterback once he started to slide. It looked Yes, he was sliding. There is no doubt about that. However, I watched the play a few times, and in live, live, it was really tough to tell whether or not Kenny Clark got his tackling motion down by the time Stafford started to slide. And I, by that, I mean, it looked like he was already well into like trying to make the hit and like in the movement where he couldn't have gotten out of the way. Taylor Decker even said after the game, I believe it was Taylor Decker. I think it was De- Decker or TJ Hawkinson. One of the players said after the game that they did not believe that the hit was dirty at all they did not think that it was they thought it was just you know it hit Stafford in an unfortunate way I did not think that the hit was dirty Um, I get where people were saying that he started to slide but it wasn't like to me that's always been like an egregious thing or an obvious thing and staff even the way Stafford started to slide it didn't look that obvious that he was sliding so I think that's one of those judgment calls that you're just that's a tough call um, I could have understood if they threw the flag, but I can also understand where they didn't because when you watch Kenny Clark, if you watch it in real time and don't slow it down, it looks like he was making his move exactly when Stafford made his move. And I mean, I don't think you can throw a flag there, but that's just me. Brian Ballard is at GoKU Pantera 101. Why are, aren't we interviewing non-playoff general managers yet? Aren't we wasting time? Okay, Brian, just... Because I've heard this a lot. So basically, if you are with an NFL organization, the Lions cannot talk to you until after the regular season concludes. Like, that that's just not something that can happen. 
That is why you're hearing names like Jerry Reese, Rick Smith, Lewis Riddick, like guys who are not currently in the NFL, coaches or general managers, you can talk with. You can talk to your internal people. But if you want to talk to somebody like Adam Peters in San Francisco, Ed Dodds in Indianapolis, Brian Gain in Buffalo, Reggie McKenzie in Miami, any of these people, you have to wait until after the season is over. So you're going to hear Monday, that Tuesday, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. That Saturday and Sunday, potentially even that maybe they're going to request certain things, potentially, that's when you're going to hear it. Right now, you're going to hear a lot of Jerry Reese, a lot of John Dorsey, a lot of Lewis Riddick, a lot of Rick Smith, because those are the popular hot names of people not currently employed as general managers out there. That's just the truth of it, and that's what you're going to get. So you can't interview them, and that's they're not wasting time. You, you make this move so you can maybe talk to some of the guys that they're talking to, and you also make this move so like you just kind of can get a leg up on on easier research instead of behind-the-back research. Lawrence Flynn, who's at LFly11, uh, is asking, Michael, you said on your pod several weeks ago that stuff stuck with me. You were talking about wide receivers, and you said this regime valued contestant catch ability over position speed. This team lacks playmakers on both sides of the ball. Is that the biggest indictment on the Quintricia era? That's a good question. Um, to an extent, I think that's the biggest indictment. I think the the way you should look at it on on defense, it is completely and totally ignoring pass rush and being too married to a certain type of linebacker. And that goes into not finding playmakers, but they didn't value finding linemen in the draft. Like we all know that. Like I mean, you look at most of the linemen they brought in, they brought in Everybody, almost everybody on their line, except for John Penasini and Julian Aquaro, who hasn't really played through free agency or through waivers. Like, that's just what they did. Romeo Aquaro was a waiver signing. Trey Flowers was a free agent signing. Danny Shelton was a free agent signing. Nick Williams was a free agent signing. They traded for Everson Griffin. Uh, Kevin Strong was a UDFA. Like, yeah, if you're picking up on a theme here, like that's just what they were doing. They didn't prioritize finding young, fast, quick twitch defensive linemen. Just didn't prioritize that. That's an indictment on them. Linebackers, largely the same way. They did go through the draft a little bit more. Obviously, Jared Davis, Jelani Tavai, but they, you know, they valued a certain type of linebacker with Tavai, a bigger linebacker. Davis. I mean, I think Davis is okay for what he is, but, you know, not in the first round. Jalen Reeves maybe has never really gotten on the field as a linebacker. So that front seven and how they drafted and how they valued that position. Austin Bryant's another guy that did draft uh, that's in the front seven. But, you know, you look at the Jamie Collins is a guy they brought in. Devon Kennard before him they brought in. So that, to me, I think defensively is where they failed. And that, to me, is maybe the biggest indictment overall. On the offensive side of the ball, um, I don't know. I mean, they put more of a priority on the backup quarterback position this year in, in Chase Daniel. They probably drafted too many running backs, truthfully, um, in Ty Johnson, who's now playing all right for the Jets, and on Johnson and DeAndre Swift. But Swift looks like a keeper so far. So 
that's one area I think that they maybe could have done a little bit better. Uh, I think Bob Quinn should deserve a lot of credit for what he did on the offensive line and the left side of it. I mean, it took a little while to get it right because, you know, they overpaid Rick Wagner and they overpaid TJ Lang. Lang, due to injuries, Wagner due to play. But Wagner's, you know, playing all right again now that he's, you know, not in Detroit. Um, but I like what Bob Quinn eventually did. He got some depth on the line as well. Like, I think Bob Quinn did a good job finally. Like, it took a little bit, like I said, with the offensive line. Uh you know, people are going to look at TJ Hawkinson, but TJ Hawkinson could end up being a top three or four tight end here in short order in the NFL. And I mean, I don't know. To me, that's a pretty big, that that might end up being a win, even though it wasn't maybe a position you totally needed. You know, maybe you take Brian Burns, but again, based off of how Bob Quinn drafted, he's not really focusing in the draft on, on the type of player that Brian Burns is. So that it goes back to that. It goes back to that over and over and over again. I mean, Quinn himself, I still say that the thing that got Quinn fired was hiring Matt Patricia and really trusting that. Um, we'll get into that a little bit tomorrow with Teron Davenport because obviously Mike Vrabel is their head coach. So that's part of it. But yeah, on when you look at the two of them together the last three years, that lack of prior, like prioritization on the front seven is their biggest issue. Uh, and when it comes to receivers, I have no problem with them having the receivers that they have because Marvin Jones is a really good receiver. You know, he's a high-end number two. Kenny Galladay is a mid-level number one when he's healthy, maybe even a little bit better than that. Um, in the slot, yeah, I mean, they could have done better, but Danny Amendola is a fine slot receiver. You know, he, he he's a comfort guy. You know he's going to catch the ball. Like, playmakers... TJ Hawkinson, they're hoping, is a playmaker, and he's showing he might be. DJ, DeAndre Swift has a chance to be a playmaker. Carryon Johnson, before the knee injury, showed like he might be a playmaker. Kenny Holiday is a playmaker. He just doesn't have speed. And I think they value some speed at running back. I mean, Swift has it. Ty Johnson had it. Still does have it. Um, Carryon Johnson, not quite as much, but he has some. So I think it's just, yeah, I maybe speed at the receiver position is where they didn't value it as much, but... You look at the receivers they had, and they had some really good ones. The last question comes from Jamie Manning, who's at Jamie J. Man, and he is at, he and he is asking, "What's the chance that was Stafford's last game as a Lion?" That's a big question, and I don't know how to fully answer that right now. I think I'm gonna just have to say wait and see because there's a lot that goes into that. The first thing is obviously who the new head coach and general manager are and what they want to do with Matthew Stafford and what their plan is. That's the first thing, because if Matthew Stafford's here in 2021, then no, you definitely haven't seen his last game as a Lion. If they decide that they can get something for Matthew Stafford that's valuable and you're tearing it all down, because if they're not tearing it all down, then you're probably sticking with Stafford uh, at least as a bridge quarterback. But if you are tearing it all down and you can get a first and a second or two firsts or a first and a player or a second and a high-level young player for Matthew Stafford, you might just do it. And if that happens, then it is possible. Now, we'll see how the ribs go here. I mean, Stafford clearly is trying to play. He wants to get back out there. That much you could tell was evident when he talked on Wednesday but it's all going to be based off of if he can throw and if he can get through the game. And if he can, then no, you haven't seen his last game as a Lion because I think he'll try and get back. If he can't, then maybe. 
you know, it's a non-zero chance, and I'll end it here. If you remember in the pod, whether it was that night or it was the day after or the week after, at some point in the time surrounding Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn's firing, I got a question similar to this, or we talked about Stafford in some way. And I said, listen, you better savor the last five games of watching Matthew Stafford because you just don't know. And this is really the first time in a long time you could say you really don't know whether this is going to be it for Stafford in Detroit. And I hope you enjoyed what you saw out of the Bears game and out of what he was doing during the majority of the Packers game just in case because the end comes quicker than you think. It did for Calvin Johnson. It did for Reggie Bush. It has for so many players like with Detroit and just in their careers that you don't always recognize it. You don't always see it. You don't always realize it when it's happening uh, until it's happened, especially as a fan because you don't know what's going on inside the player's head. So I'm just saying that maybe, maybe I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't, you know, say it's likely, but I will say I think it's non-zero that that was – his last game as a lion, but there's so many factors that go into play, including most importantly him getting healthy this year and whether or not he can come back this year. And then you kind of let the future take care of itself. Want to thank all of you as always for listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein on Facebook at Michael Rothstein journalist. We'll be back tomorrow with ESPN Titans reporter Teron Davenport. We're going to get a little bit in Arthur Smith, the head coaching candidate, who's their offensive coordinator. We're going to talk a little bit about Mike Vrabel, some about Derek Henry. We're going to talk a bit about Doug Peterson and John Harbaugh as well for varying reasons that you'll find out about. So come on back tomorrow and we'll see you then. Football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.